This podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to We're Not Over Six Feet Under, the podcast where we talk about the aughts most morose TV show about a Gen Xer and a funeral home and mortality and stuff, episode by episode, spoiler free. I'm your host, Jenna Shearer, and I am a writer, editor, and pop culture critic. And small disclaimer, my allergies are really bad this week, so I'm sorry if I cough a lot. I'm your other host, Caroline McGraw. I'm a playwright and screenwriter. Um, I don't really have allergies. Um, You're very lucky. I feel, I feel uh, pretty good about it. Um, this week, we're talking about season one, episode three, The Foot, which originally aired on June 17th, 2001. This episode was written by Bruce Eric Kaplan and directed by John Patterson. Uh, let's jump right in. The first thing that I want to say about Bruce Eric Kaplan, because as soon as I saw that name, it sounded familiar to me. Oh, I'm inter- I wanted to talk about him, too. Oh, man. OK. Well, no, just that he's he's writes a ton. Like he wrote on Girls is like the and biggest Seinfeld. thing. Oh, I didn't know he wrote on Seinfeld. But the other thing that I think is very pertinent to this episode is that he is a New Yorker cartoonist. The thing that he is most known for is he's a New Yorker huh. cartoonist. And I th- feel like you'll recognize his artistic style. Um, I yep. do recognize his drawing. I didn't know that at all. I just recognized him as a... I, I feel like I just see his name in a lot of things that he wrote on... I knew he wrote on Girls. Yeah, he was... And he, I think he was also like a producer on Girls. So big HBO guy. It's very funny. Big, uh, big comedy guy. It's a super, super funny episode. It is. I would say this episode like is straight up a comedy. Like there is not a moment of drama in this episode. So we have we open with what we what we should now know is the death of the week. Um, And we see two men uh, talking about a giant industrial bread mixer. Yep. Classic. Classic janitor banter. It's really so the the younger man accidentally turns on the giant industrial bread mixer while Mr. Romano is in there. And it's really upsetting because Mr. Romano has just talked about like all the ter- kind of the terrible things that could happen with the bread mixer. Yep. And then we don't see anything happen, which is almost worse <laughs> than like see. I mean, I didn't want to see him like um, I didn't. I didn't see the but, Mr. Mar- Romano necessarily. But it's, when that when that guy realizes what happens, it's super sad. I know. I feel bad for him. Um, so yeah, R.I.P. Thomas Alfredo Romano, nineteen forty four to two thousand one. Um, we open up on the the action with our cast with Nate and Brenda. <laughs> action being the operative word. Action being the operative word. Nate and Brenda are on the floor. They've just had sex. We have never seen them on or in a bed. <laughs> as far as I'm sure. As far as I th- as I know, Nate looks so handsome <laughs> he looks great peter krausel looks really good in this whole episode i don't know what they really got the lighting and the grooming right with him he I, looks awesome i uh, i shallowly wrote in my notes here we get a glimpse of dat nate ass because we do oh yeah we do he just mm-hmm. looks great um yeah. and brenda's wearing a necklace <laughs> Is what I have to say about Brenda's looks in this in this scene. Nate, we get a little exposition. Nate is going to meet with the um, Nate and David rather are going to meet with the Kroner people today. 
Um, Nate says that he wants to sell uh, Fisher and Sons and go back to Seattle. Brenda doesn't seem super into this. But then Nate says that she should uh, come with him. Yeah, Nate is really nesting with Brenda in this episode, which I find interesting. I like this scene because we see Brenda... Brenda's pretty like is uh, pretty fallible in this scene. Like she's vulnerable and mm-hmm. she's I don't know. I like it. Yeah, I think this episode we start seeing some of the cracks and the like. I don't want to call Brenda in the early episodes like a manic pixie dream girl because she's like way too like dark and twisted for that. But like, but she yeah she is she's doing a lot of I know what you need and right. I know best sort of yeah. stuff in that very kind of like low calm voice. Mm-hmm. And we are we are starting to see that Brenda is. Uh, is not as cool, calm, and collected. Um, so the next in the next scene, it's sort of the opposite of that light, light, fun banter. Um, David and Ruth are in the kitchen talking about Kroner, um, and uh, David is talking about just like the finances of the the funeral home and saying that they're getting like that their costs are going way up. Claire comes in in a great robe that I, I really want. Love that robe. Um, it feels very modern, actually. It does. And it it feels a little, I wouldn't call Claire's style quirky, and it feels a little quirky mm-hmm. to me, but it really works for her. And then we get uh, the very the show's very first musical number. Um, before the musical number, I just want to note that Ruth really hates it when Claire looks happy. <laughs> That's right. Claire, she really can't deal with it. She it makes her very uncomfortable. So then yes, we get the we get the musical number uh with trained opera singer and future Tony nominee for best, best actress in a musical, Lauren mm. Ambrose. I mean, that must be her singing. Oh, it has to be. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like that the Alan Ball coming from the theater was probably like I can't wait to make uh Lauren Ambrose sing because she is trained at Tanglewood. She has the mu- the musical number in her beautiful glittery gown. What a little moonlight can do because she's over the moon about Gabe. The Gabe. And and then I love the cutaway <laughs> where she's just sitting she's just sitting there. Ruth asks her if she's bulimic when she wants to actually eat something. Ruth really does want a child with an eating disorder. She's very excited about this. Yeah, Ruth is just I Ruth doesn't know how to deal with how different her daughter is from her in terms of like processing things. Yeah. Like Ruth is like what you don't keep your emotions under like 10 layers of like prairie gowns, you must have a medical problem. Yeah. It does feel like Ruth is sort of like I don't really know how to parent this teenage girl. Mm-hmm. So, what do teenage teenage girls have sex and they have eating disorders and that's what I'm going to focus on. So anyway, Nate comes in. Got the whole family. The whole family is in there. Nate enters. He says he stayed at Brenda's. I just say I'm in. I I love Nate in this episode so far. He's like easy breezy, beautiful Nate, and I really like it. Um, Got the right concealer and and everything. David fully (laughs) cannot deal with Nate being like, "Yeah, I came from Brenda's." He's like, "Everybody doesn't need to know what you're up to." Yeah, and then Nate is all like, oh, I'm sorry that I don't keep all my mysterious secrets like you. And they, they just could not be more different. And they, they argue a little bit about Kroner. Um, David just openly says that selling a Kroner invalidates his entire life. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't even try to couch it in any subject. Well, and Nate says, like, you know, and I don't really, like, this is a good point that Nate is making. He says, um, is this really what you want to do with your life? Or are you just trying to make a dead man happy? 
but yet Nate does he Nate basically talks everyone in the family into and he very like to his credit includes Claire in this conversation. He Claire says, complains Claire about her trust fund. I know. <laughs> Poor Claire and her trust fund. I have a lot. I my feelings about this family's finances continue until Oh this my episode. god. Tell me about it. Um Ruth's feelings are the ones that feel sort of like I'm not I can't quite pin down what she wants. I mean, I think that this episode is kind of about Ruth not being able to pin down what she yeah, wants. Yeah, that's true. She, I mean, this episode, like, just to get kind of big picture about it, everyone in this episode is basically having a manic moment. Like, Ruth is, you know, going around and, like, being like, I don't, I'm trying to, like, conmari my house and it's not working. <laughs> and now I'm just going to, like, throw money away. And Claire's like, I can just steal feet left and right. And, um, and I think it was just know. the left. Yeah. <laughs> I actually don't know which foot it was, but that would have worked uh, way better. I think it is the left. Um, so in the next in the next scene, we meet um, Mr. Romano's fe- female relatives, his wife, his daughters, and they are from a Neil Simon play. They really are. They're just like a ba 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 That's my impression of them. They they are from Yonkers or Bay Ridge or both. And they live in Los Angeles, apparently. <laughs> and they're truly, and they're, ar- you know, they're arguing. They say they they basically came to Fisher and Sons for Rico because obviously Mr. Romano is in many pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut to Rico, who's pumped about the challenge of Mr. Romano. Um, they have to go pick him up. Um, Nate R- has to go pick Nate him up. Nate has to go pick him up because Rico's godson is getting christened. Which does remind me that I never know what day of the week it is on this show because everybody comes and goes as they please. And obviously there are weekend hours because like there are emergencies and things like that. So I truly never know what day it is. Although it also turns out that's a lie. He's he's going to uh, take a meeting with Kroner. What a great lie because you know the Fishers don't care about anybody else. So they're they're not like, it's a Wednesday at four. Why would a christening? No, they would never. They would never think about it. They're like, sure, that's when that's when things happen for other people. They go to church, but they just don't care about. They're just like wrapped up in their own stuff. So Nate, Nate has to pick up Mr. Romano's body. Yes, and um, I was researching around this episode a little bit, and I found um, on an old comment thread uh, a guy who used to be a funeral director was talking about this episode so when when Nate is is picking up this body with the orderly and he's kind of carrying this very different intense body bag what this thing is called that keeps like parts in it as opposed to like a full complete body it's called a disaster pouch ooh yeah ooh that yeah. is fitting and upsetting i know disaster pouch i wish they had said that that would have been so evocative right but they they do call him humpty dumpty oh, so they're yeah. they're taking uh this man's life and death very seriously I do like I like this little scene. I, I there's so many scenes in this episode. I think there's 41 scenes, which does feel again like feels more comedic. Like they're just like popping along, and I love this little moment that mm-hmm. Nate has with the um, the guy at the morgue. He says he's a temp, and he's like, "Oh, I oh, heard yeah. old man Fis- old man Fisher died." Did you? And he said, "You know him," and Nate says, "Not really." And it's I don't know. It's like a lovely little it like is a lovely little piece of piece of writing and business. And mm-hmm. I like it. It's it's Nate kind of figuring out. He at this point he's just like, yeah, I'm just kind of here, but I keep not leaving, so I'm gonna lie about it. He still doesn't know what he wants at this point. Mm-hmm. Um. So in our next scene, <laughs> Claire's in a parking lot again. She's leaving a voicemail for Gabe. 
people are behind gathering behind her laughing and she doesn't see because she's all like nervous and like love struck and it's really sweet and sad yeah i love her tank top she um, has she has so many good looks this episode yeah she really looks great i even i love those like wide elastic headbands she's wearing right? i think they're it's really it's a very strong look so so people are kids are laughing behind her classmates it makes me really sad. I know, because then she, she walks up to her, her car, her beautiful lime green hearse, and it is covered in spray-painted things like foot slut, um, little piggy lover. It's It doesn't really roll off the tongue. I was trying to think if there are, like, better, there would be, like, better, like, ways to burn someone who had, with, like, a foot. If you nickname, were hypothetically making fun of somebody, if you were hypothetically making fun of your yeah. classmate who had uh, had a foot fetish sexual mm-hmm. encounter, I don't know what it would be, but it just doesn't like little piggy, and it said like several times, and it I was did. just like, that is not catchy. No, they were really leaning into the little piggy thing, and I'm like, I feel like that's not what high school students would be focusing on. No, yeah. It's but whatever is happening, it's very sad and upsetting because this car is so important to Claire. I know, and she's yeah, she's like sad and bummed out, and I think this is you know, kind of a moment for Claire who's like, I'm not one of the cool kids, but I'm also you know like kind of trying to be in with the cool kids, and I feel like this is kind of a moment where she's like, "Am I like a loser, or am I just gonna like lean into like I'm the freak with you know from the funeral home like she mentions in the first episode, yeah. She drives away, and then we are with Keith and David lamp shopping, and I really like this. I scene. know it's such a like little mundane thing for them to be doing that's really like nice and coupley. Um, Keith has some very strong opinions about how he wants to swan underneath this <laughs> lamp, which I think is really adorable. Yep. Um, Keith is is really cute in this episode. David gets cruised, and Keith is. Mock jealous, but I think like a little like it's David is like gay coming of age. Mm-hmm. Well, he I mean, Keith in this scene, you know, David is is trying to figure out he's like, could I start my life over? Could I leave the funeral home? Yeah. And and Keith says to him, are you kidding me? You're a baby. Um, yeah, he, he's so young. He's, he's 31. I think he's 31. And he's also yeah. like not only is he a baby in the sense that he's still like really young and has his life ahead of him, but he's young in that he's like new to being an openly gay man. Well, and he's not, and he's not quite open. Not quite a, a, a like the closet door is cracked, gay man. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I've, I've never been, I've never been to L.A., but how likely do you think it would be that somebody would get cruised while they're lamp shopping? I, I mean, I don't even know. I think I don't even know if it's Los Angeles dependent. I guess he's getting. I. It seems like he's getting an appreciative glance. This is the thing. We. I feel like we're we're gonna have some people on as guests in the future who can maybe talk a little bit more yes. about the ins and outs of like the nuances of gay culture in these in these episodes. But I I think that guy's maybe just checking David out. He's maybe not like trying to get him to like go to the bathroom at the lamp store. But I don't right. know. And I wonder if he like w- if that guy went to the lamp store being like I'm gonna get a lamp, or if he went to the lamp store being like I wonder if there are <laughs> hot guys here. I mean, why not both? <laughs> why not both? Why Good not point. Both? Um, in, in our next scene, um, staple of television and film, Caroline Aaron yes. <laughs> is there with a casserole. She is Ruth's best friend. She's also, I guess. Uh, Joel's mom on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is oh, the thing that's I most right. recently she is. from. Yeah. She's everywhere. She's all over, t- like I said, all over TV and film. She says she's Ruth's best friend. Ruth 
is annoyed and that <laughs> she's there. And um, Ruth represses so many emotions, but she never represses her frustration. I know with people. She's just like openly hostile that she's there. It's like, and and in terms of um, uh, you know, Amelia, this friend saying, "I'm your best friend." I'm like, you definitely decided that for yourself because Ruth has never once agreed to that. Is no spoilers, but is she ever in another episode? She's never in another episode. Okay, yeah, yeah, I yeah. checked. I yeah. checked IMDb. She is not in another episode. God bless Amelia for trying to scale this like impenetrable, spiky, tall mountain that is trying to be friends with Ruth, because that is a monumental undertaking. It is. It is a, the answer to a lot of these questions, which Amelia doesn't say. Like any questions, like that both Claire and Ruth have in this episode should be answered with you need to be in therapy but like it's not as much a part but that's a very like 2019 I don't think in 2000 and 2001 people were just like I'm sad therapy like maybe they were but it's it seems no. like a very modern perspective to I think, be like I think only Brenda who was raised by yes, therapists true like, but even Brenda doesn't seem to recommend therapy to people because no. she doesn't like her parents Brenda just goes ahead and therapizes everybody without yes, their consent that's true so in the next scene Nate goes to meet with Matthew Gillardi the the like blonde, um, vapid dude from Kroner. He calls a Nazi four or five times. Many many times in this episode. And like, thank God Brenda calls him out on it at a certain point. She's yeah. like, oh, so this is like a dick measuring contest. But um, he goes to meet with Gillardi and he's like super pumped about all the money he's gonna get. Um, and then Gillardi, you know, starts using all these buzzwords like death care industry. And like how they're going to maximize profits by, you know, making sure that all the cremation and the embalming yeah. happens at like a central facility. Well, and he also says that he says your dad didn't know how to run a business, which I would like to argue with because every Fisher is rich. <laughs> like everybody, there's a trust fund. Right. Ruth is losing $25,000 with like, I mean, she cares, but it doesn't seem to like. She doesn't seem to be, like, worried about what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that Nate did a great job, <laughs> Nate Sr., rather, did a great job at running Fisher & Sons because it seems very profitable. Yeah, his family seems to be very well off. Everyone's doing fine. And um, speaking of Nate Sr., that uh, that old psychological ghost of his yes. uh, starts lurking in the background. Um, and it is Nate Sr.'s ghost through Nate's perspective who calls Gilardi a greedy little Nazi fuck. Yeah, I guess that's why Nate keeps repeating it because his dad, the dad, psychological projection ghost yes. said it. But the dad is him. But the dad is him. I mean, yeah, the call is coming from inside the Nate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and Nate is being kind of dickish during this scene, but Matthew Gillardi is so insufferable that I will. Oh, I'm okay with he's it. He's repulsive. It's like it, you know, Nate very quickly in this scene is just suddenly like, oh, I'm like not so cool all of a sudden with my plan to just like take the money and run and go back to my life of, you know, organic groceries. Why is Nate there by himself? David was like, you deal with it. I think David was like, this is the decision you want to make. Like, Such you deal a bad with it. idea. It's very, it was a very like petty spur of the moment decision for David and it's not a smart decision. Yeah, it wasn't a good idea. David should have been there. I, I feel like, like David has a pattern uh, thus far in the show of being like, oh, I'm going to send Nate to do something but not give him enough information. And then when Nate does it wrong, he gets mad at him. Yeah, and I mean, I love to bag on Nate, but fool me once, David. Like, this is your... I know. <laughs> he, this is like the sixth time he's done it over the course of the series so far. And then he's like, I didn't get the result I wanted. 
you're not going to. Yep. That's not what's going to happen. Yep. Um, since the Fishers live in the funeral home, I'm just like, what are the ins and outs of Kroner taking over it? I know they talk about the central location, yeah. but I'm just like curious about their everyday lives are so enmeshed in this funeral home mm-hmm. that just like selling it seems to be something that it's like a very impulsive and obviously it is, but it just seems so impulsive. I'm like, has anybody thought about kind of what happens to the people, the three people who live on this property? I, I think it's mentioned in the episode that the Fishers would still be managing the funeral. Sure. Home, but so they they'd would get just to be stay, remotely owned and they would, you know, have like their policies dictated by sure. Kroner. Yeah. Um, so then we're uh, we're back at school and we are inside the school for the first time. We're inside, oh, my God. Claire goes oh, yes, up we to are. Gabe in the high school. Very like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Veronica Mars, California high school. Um, and And he's wearing a turtleneck. (laughs) It's January. Yeah. And, and, and Claire is like, Hey, what the fuck? Like the people know about that. I sucked on your toes and, um, it's all over my car. And he seems to be like, to his credit, genuinely surprised about this. I just, I know that Gabe is a teenage boy, even though he's obviously 21, at least 21 years old, if not more. (laughs) But like, I know that Gabe is a teenage boy and I know he was just like bragging to his friends, but like, it's a... I don't think it makes if he thinks it makes her look weird. I feel like it makes him look weird that he wanted to, like, get stuff done to his. I mean, maybe he framed it as like she really wanted to do stuff to my feet. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, honestly, just the the double like, standard patriarchal society being like, oh, there was a weird thing that happened during sex. Let's uh, shame the girl about it. Yeah. Here, Here's my question for you. How much of a and this is something I'm struggling with myself. How much of a jerk do you think Gabe is? I actually don't. I don't think that he meant I think that he was stupid to tell his friend. I don't think that he actually thought what happened was going to happen. Yeah, I, agree. I was in rewatching this. I was like I had for some reason remembered that Gabe was the one who did stuff to her car. That's and then also I was what like, I remembered. Yeah, that would be unforgivable. Yeah. But it's just that he, he just seems thoughtless and he's not. The way that he reacts to it sucks. Yeah, he. I mean, he just seems like a teen boy. He's just like, why is this a problem? And she's like, you don't know what it's like to, like, be in my shoes and to, like, be a woman in this scenario. And I do, she really holds her own. I love Claire in this scene. She's she, great in this she's, scene. She's very, she's she's collected but emotional and articulate. Mm-hmm. And I really love her. Um, another Fisher woman is in our sights, and it's Ruth, and she's giving away all of Nathaniel Sr.'s suits. <laughs> she, this is like... I, I mean, maybe it's just because I, I, I watched uh, Tidying Up a few months ago because I was writing an article about it. Oh, but, yeah. like, this is just, like, Ruth, like, trying and spectacularly failing to, like, con Mari after her husband's death. Um, and, you know, with the help of, of Amelia, her very patient friend. and um, Who we truly will never I see. I know. <laughs> and uh, n- none of Nathaniel's very dark and dour suits that are all the same are sparking joy for some reason. I do I do wish Ruth would like give those suits away to like men who need them for job interviews. <laughs> like disadvantaged people who need them for job interviews. But, she mentioned um, she'd like to burn them. Yeah, I know. Well that's that's the thing is I was like, ooh, this is a real I I I'll I'll talk about this a little later. I'm like, man, for nine eleven nobody had to worry about anything. That's not true. <laughs> but just like <laughs> I was just like there's she just they have so much that they like that she can talk about burning these suits. Like mm-hmm. what I assume are quite expensive suits. Um, it's just like a little detail. I love her lack of sentimentality. That's something oh, no, something no, no. that I just love about Ruth is mm-hmm. that she's so sort of like over the top and emotional, but she's she's not sentimental or like she isn't self and 
indulgent. Mm-hmm. She's, she's she's almost like she's almost like so not self-indulgent that it becomes self-indulgent. Yes. I mean, the thing that she'll do is she'll because, you know, Amelia's like, you should make a memory pile of like the things that remind you of him. And she's like, fuck, no. Wasn't she like, what am I going to make a quilt? That's right. It's amazing. But she's my like, mother would make a quilt. I mean, what Ruth does in, in, in her unsentimentality is she she's being like, I am being a practical, like unfussy person. But then as a result of like her just like pushing away everything she then like overcompensates the other side and like has a manic episode and gambles away twenty five thousand dollars um nate okay this is what this is what i'm talking about is the life before 9-11 and the sex scene so nate oh wait wait before that so there's there's a moment where where uh where ruth is like forget about the suits we need to flip the mattress when's the last time the mattress was flipped um and and Amelia's just like I don't know what's happening here but like I'm just gonna roll with it and that to me was such a relatable moment of like there's a thing that I'm supposed to be doing and I really don't want to do it so I'm gonna pick some like esoteric chore that I've been ignoring for years and and that just felt so real to me okay now we're in my favorite scene which is when Nate drives by a protest (laughs) to save a park question mark I cannot the signs are so vague i love how generic this protest is what is it for where's the park are they near the park again it's a pre-9-11 world so there's nothing to worry about i'm like oh my god i long for the days when you were like gotta protest that park this is not a protest of the Muslim ban. This is not a protest of Brett Kavanaugh. It's, it's not a even protest a protest of the Iraq War. It's just a protest. It's about just a, park. a protest about a park. And then the the signs turn into you know calling Nate. There's one to go home. There's one that says "Go back to Seattle, yeah. bag boy." And then there's another <laughs> one that says good. "You fucking moron," which is um, an epithet that kind of oh, repeats yes. for Nate over and over David again. David called him a fucking moron in yeah. his, in his uh, dream about him. And Nate Senior is in the car with him now, and he tells Nate that he has a gift um, for helping for people. helping people. Yeah. And it is we it's egotistical, and we know that it's. Nate projecting and it's like a psychic ghost but it is nice to see Nate Sr. being supportive I know uh, David just it's... gets him yelling about homo- like homophobic rants at him yep, pretty much yeah I mean this is a I mean we'll, we'll talk about it more in the next scene but I feel like it's this is kind of a moment like if this was a superhero origin story like this is the moment when yeah. like Spider-Man is like oh like with great power comes great responsibility. Like this moment of like, oh, I have this superpower, which I guess the power is, you know, helping people through their grief. And it, it's something that I appreciate. I mean, I you know, we know <laughs> we know the show is going to keep going and that Nate is going to be there. But in, it's this is not something that happens. This could have been kind of mushed into the pilot that Nate has this revelation. Mm-hmm. But it's like the show takes its time with it. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Because we have seen a few episodes of Nate sort of being surprised by how good he is yeah. at helping people. Um. So, yeah. So in this next scene, we have Nate, Ruth, and David in the kitchen. And now Nate doesn't want to sell. Again, like David is angry about this. And I'm like... Nate is just going to buy magic beans if you send him anywhere. Like, don't send him anywhere if you don't want to, like, have a surprise. Okay, so Nate is not the worst in this episode. No! But this this is actually a bit my heaven-can't-Nate moment oh, in this yeah, episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, Let's get into it. Is that, you know, I get David's point. Like, yeah. David the whole time is like, 
is like, I am trying to be the practical person. I'm trying to keep this family together. And then Nate will just come in and be like, we should, we should sell. And everybody's like, yeah, let's do what Nate says. And then Nate comes back in and he's like, fuck that guy. Like, let's not sell. And, and, and I get why David is so frustrated by it. And yeah. it's like, yeah, sure. Ultimately, because we've been inside Nate's head, we see the, we see the process and we see why he did this. But from like the from David's perspective in particular, but from the family's perspective, it's just like these people don't know they're in a show and that Nate is the protagonist. Like I think Nate knows he's the protagonist. I mean Nate <laughs> Nate for sure knows he's the protagonist, but just that, you know, that everybody is just willing to turn on Nate's whim when he's suddenly like, I'm the chosen one for grief yeah. counseling. He's so charismatic. He is. He's incredibly charismatic. And he and he and he knows he is, but he still is able to like use it. It's mm-hmm. really I don't know. There's something about him in this episode where I'm like, he's like self-aware, but he's not like self-pitying, but he's also like not that self-aware. It's just like really effective. So um, you're saying that heaven can? No, Nate? heaven can't, Nate. And we have another heaven can't, Nate coming up, I think. But um, but this is this is I I do feel like I was so hard. Maybe we both were, but I was particularly hard on Nate like the first couple episodes, and I do think that like in this episode he really. Is he's settling down, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like, okay, can I'm okay with you. And David, I do see in David too that he's like very, he really wants Nate's approval, but he's also like kind of repelled by him. Yeah, and it's really Michael C. Hall's doing a really good job. Um, Brenda and Nate have champagne in this next scene to celebrate Nate staying. Um, and then David has um, a corpse gets taken away uh, from the Fisher home because they've been underbid by um, what we find out is a Kroner home. I didn't know that corpses could just get like yanked back and forth. Yeah, like I didn't that. know that either. And this family, this family, I guess the family just like took, you know, took him away. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how David, how we are starting to also hear about like kind of like the world of funeral homes mm-hmm. and how David and they talk about like the owner of this other home, like who underbid them is retired. And you think about like how young David, like David is like the young man. Yeah, he's in like this business. the young hotshot. The young hotshot funeral, funeral director. Well, and, you know, there's this whole question, especially when, you know, Nate's like, here's what Fisher and Sons is giving versus Kroner is that this is like a personable approach and it's not about like the quote unquote death care industry. And, you know, we like do our embalmings on site and we are sort of like, you know, compassionate and we're like kind of artists about this. And the, it kind of the question becomes like how progressive or not or special or not is Fisher and Sons yeah. as a funeral home. Yeah, totally. So then uh, in the next scene, Brenda has uh, once again angered whoever's dressing her because she has on a flower cardigan and then a different contrasting flower print under it <laughs> on a dress that I actually think the dress looks amazing. And she's also wearing a terrible barrette. Uh, that makes her look like she's trying to look like a child. Uh, so wow, I didn't notice the barrette. This I'm is very, very granular. I'm, this is uh, I get very into Brenda's outfits again. Rachel Griffith, please get it's in your touch calling. with us <laughs> and tell us what what um, you did <laughs> to this to this costume designer. So Brenda both like pushes Nate away emotionally, but she also bought him Glenn like brought, bought them Glenn Miller tickets, which is really sweet. Yeah. Oh, because because th- in the first scene we see Nate being oh, really yeah. excited about hearing big band music on the radio, <laughs> yeah, that's right. which is like kind of dorky and adorable. Yeah. Because and his dad he says his dad liked it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Um. David <laughs> looks at the Kroner offer. We're back in Fisher and Sons, and David 
finds nobody threw away the kroner offer it was it is still on the kitchen table and he has like a little moment of what might have been and then in this next scene we're with rico and nate uh in the in the um what are we, in the in the embalming embalming room, room? okay yes, great we're i was like in the funeral home but they're downstairs and um rico takes a call and he speaks spanish um but clearly says the word kroner <laughs> like very clearly says the word kroner and then he immediately lies to nate and says that vanessa he needs to talk to vanessa about being pregnant and then he you know and then he leaves nate alone with the grossest possible body he could deal with which and Nate is like, well, I'm part of the business now. I guess I gotta just like <sighs> stick my face in dead bodies, yeah. which is my least favorite thing. Zero, zero to sixty, Nate. Um, he immediately pukes. <laughs> um, oh, first he first he spills the body all over the. Floor. Oh yes, that's right. I'm sorry. First the body just comes tumbling out of the what did it was it called a disaster the uh, disaster pouch disaster pouch mm-hmm. just and, oh and Claire walks in oh, when Claire walks in and I'm so curious about. Claire's relationship to the funeral home because she seems to be pretty like okay there's a body there. Something I, I find really interesting with the Fishers rewatching this episode is like basically everyone in this show except for Nate is like oh yeah like a dead body whatever and like Nate is presented as the weird one because he's horrified by dead bodies. I would be horrified by this. I'd al- yes I'd also be horrified by any dead body let alone like a chopped up bread body. Yeah um, but I do like that. <laughs> David comes in and then makes Nate do the shrubs in this next scene. Oh, yeah. I wrote down, oh, my God, this fucking guy is back. I just, Matthew Gilardi is all up in this episode, and he's so annoying. He's a full-time Fisher stalker. Yeah. He just is is just, like, popping up like every Like, he must minute. have, I don't know if there were GPS trackers at this point, <laughs> but I feel like he's got GPS trackers on, like, all of the Fishers. Well, I mean, they are at their house. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean he didn't he didn't have to he didn't have to go too far. <laughs> but but he's he tells Nate he is he seems like to take this very personally and he comes to Nate and he says that they bought this like ramshackle house across the street and they're going to put the fishers out of business in 6 months. Yeah, they're going to they're going to do like this this like cremation chop shop. Yeah, Poseidon society. Yeah. I like the I like the terminology we're learning in this it's, episode. It's apparently based on a real um place. I also found this on the uh, funeral director who was commenting on this oh AV God, I have to find this. Um I don't remember what it was called, but it is something like that and it is actually this place where they're like bring us your bodies and we'll burn them cheap um oh, wow. it's like a real thing that exists and i hope that's what my uh, family does i want to be cremated we haven't I talked also, about our funeral wishes do you want to be cremated too i want to be cremated and i want to be put in um i either want to be like thrown off like a cool mountain or there are these um there are these biodegradable urns that have like tree seeds in them oh and I so you that. you you get cremated and then your ashes are put like in with the soil and then you know you bury this urn and then like eventually a tree grows out of it i feel like that's what i want to do actually I like that um what about you i want to be cremated and i want it, my ashes scattered um on the uh, maybe not in it now that I'm thinking about it, but near the uh, my family has a house upstate and on our lake. Oh. It's not our we don't own the lake, but on the lake where our house That's is, nice. I'd like to be scattered there. But um, I actually have um, this is a bit of a personal sidetrack, but my my dog died last October, and yeah. I have his ashes. And oh. um, my friend and I who adopted him originally, we want to like eventually you know scatter them on this this like uh, land in Vermont where we go. <sighs> visit every summer we used to like to run around but i also like i have his ashes in a box that the um 
that the veterinarian gave me and mm-hmm. the boxes under my bed where he used to like to sleep. Yeah. And there's something weirdly comforting about having like them. Like having him there? Yeah. It's That's just like, nice. oh, like, you know, Tucker's still here in his place he liked. But anyway, that was a very sad digression oh, I love, oh about dog ashes. <sighs> Animals um, are so good. Okay, so now I'm sad, but it's fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, that's okay. So they're gonna do the Poseidon Society. David is like, we should have sold, and he was. I don't know. It feels like David was like seduced by Nate's like happy-go-lucky, like let's do it charm, and now he's he's mad that he didn't that they didn't sell, and he's seen the life he could have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rico comes in and tells them that um, Mr. Romano's foot is missing. So. They're looking around the embalming area, the downstairs, for the foot. Um, Rico and David think Nate is an idiot, um, which is fun. But he's actually not. I mean, we well, we don't know for sure yet. But, like, it doesn't seem like he lost it. Um, I love when Ruth comes downstairs and says they should look under the bed. Oh, it's so good. And then I think it's pretty clear that Nate didn't lose the foot. And, but well, they're then, all going to get sued. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, they mentioned that it, it's probably an $8 million lawsuit. So uh, we're in, now we're in the high school. It's just like jump cut to Claire, like like just strutting in like a leather jacket. <laughs> I know. The, the camera angles are very interesting in this scene. I wrote, oh, hell yeah, they're in the high school. <laughs> um, I'm really excited when we get these interiors. This is like the moment when she is gone from being like, oh, I just want to fit into being like, you know what? Yeah, I am the freak who brings body parts to school. And then in the next scene, we have just Ruth on her own in her in her bedroom and this is where that that sweet sweet Thomas Newman music kicks in and I really love it what what made her realize she needs help I wonder I guess just looking around the room and kind of like seeing how empty it is it's this moment she has with the pillow she's like there's like a pillow like just a regular sort of like chair cushion and she like moves it around and every way she moves it around it's still like a really bland pillow and she realizes that she needs yeah that she needs people that Mm -hmm. she's that she's lonely and it's not the kind of loneliness she can kind of like muscle through maybe yeah so Um, she calls amelia and they go to the racetrack but wait 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 before they go to the racetrack Mm -hmm. gabe finds the foot in his locker that's right um it's so obvious that claire took the foot i don't know i feel like it's immediate even like before this scene that it's like super duper obvious that claire took the foot Mm -hmm. but i just like this reveal it's really really funny yep so and then in the next scene, I love this scene. We're back with Mr. Romano's wife and daughters, and they have brought off-brand Birkenstocks for it's Mr. True. Romano to wear. It is so sitcommy. It's so funny. I love when the one daughter is like, it's like it's Pop's favorite shoes, and, the, and then like you see David's face, and it's like, no, he has to wear loafers. And then David says, I myself have loafers. <laughs> That are just like walking on air. And you sort of see Nate's face blurry in the background and he is cracking up. And it's so funny and wonderful. It's very, it's, I just love this little scene. Yeah. But then, and so then in the next scene, Ruth is at the racetrack with right. Amelia. Um, she sees, she confronts a young, attractive couple. You know that, you know that classic thing where you're like, hey, babe, like, where should we go on a weekday? On a weekday is in the betting line at a racetrack. And then Ruth is uh, projecting like an IMAX. She's like, you love, sure, you love each other now, but you're going to get tired of each other. And she sort of like sums up her entire uh, issues, like all of her issues with her marriage. She says, Um, no matter what you do, you end up alone. And 
the couple is very nice about all this. I, I don't know. If somebody yelled this at me in public, actually, I'm not that confrontational, so I might do what they're doing. But they're just like, have a good day. Yeah. You're going to get in this line. And then she keeps yelling at them. I know. She keeps yelling at them. Um, And then Amelia asks what we're all thinking, which is why did we come here? Why, and indeed. We don't get an answer yet. But we do get David and Keith looking at Keith's new lamp, which is. Which is also a ceiling fan. That is, that is uh, according to David, a, a threat of imminent death. So so they're sort of like trading doomsday scenarios back and forth. And David is, you know, embracing the sweet release of death to come. And then Rico calls David and says Claire is in trouble. Why does it take David so long to it's like, put two and two together? I don't Claire know why we need to, like, see his thought process here. <laughs> his flash, it's- his flashback, his slow motion gauzy flashback to Claire looking like not even having the foot but just looking suspicious on the stairwell. It's it's the silliest moment of Six Feet Under so far. Like it's yeah. just it's like this weird like washed out like white light and there's like boom like what like Claire was on the stairs and she had a bag and she seemed upset. And then he's like, a boom. And we're missing a, f- but yeah, this is the thing. You hear kids are saying, like, somebody said that she put a foot in somebody's locker. David should be, the minute he hears foot, he should be out the door. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't even need to finish the word foot. Um, And then next we get Nate and Brenda going to this um abandoned house. Oh, yeah, the Poseidon Society. Where house. the Poseidon Society is going to be. And it turns out that this house is the house where um, Nate's, like, childhood friend who tried and failed to make out with him. Yeah. Lived. I don't really understand his... He seems, like, very hung up on her. And Jeannie I'm not quite... Fritzen. I do like that Nate <laughs> talks about losing the foot and Brenda just laughs at him. Mm-hmm. Like, the show isn't pretending that this wouldn't be something that is, like, totally absurd. Oh, we also get some useful information, which is that she, Brenda and Nate have known each other less than a month. Yes. We get a ti- we get a little bit of a timeline. Brenda and Nate have sex on the very, very gross couch. While, um, while the, like, past versions of Nate and the girl he was friends with growing up are, like, watching. Yeah. Nate seems to have a connection to this house. So then, so then the next scene, I, I love the scene between Gabe and Keith. Um, it's really funny. It's, it's funny. Gabe is wearing a very chunky black necklace and Keith is interrogating him. Um, and David is sitting in the car. D- yes. And kind of like looking. <laughs> like in the cop car. Confused. He's wearing a suit as always. Keith tricks Gabe into confessing uh, that he did, that there was in fact a foot. But And then he says, when he's talking about David in the car, he says, that's my partner, which is really cute. And then we get this dream that I have, like, I honestly spent an hour, like, Googling this, like, trying to figure out what the hell was happening. There's this dream that Nate has with Jeannie Fritzen, oh, the yes. childhood friend. She's like under a table, like sort of a fort with like teacups. And she says, are you a cup? How many cups are you? I'm a loaf of bread. What and does it mean? I, lo- I love that dream, actually. I actually like that it's not literal because a lot of the times the dreams on this show. That's true. And I mean, so far, like the dreams have been, you know, like narratively quite literal and have mm-hmm. sort of like shown us what's going on in the person's head but i like how uh weird and fucked up this dream it's is it's very it's very uh, a very dreamlike dream um they slept in this house they fell asleep oh yeah they fell asleep on the like the dusty couch it is disgusting <laughs> this is disgusting yep um brenda so brenda is on the phone when nate wakes up and there's someone on the other end yes yeah, someone who sounds very stressed hear. out i see it sounds super it's a man 
so Brenda is says that she'll be she'll meet this person in a half hour uh and she kind of like blows Nate out she's like I gotta go I'll call you I'm glad you're staying and is basically what she says to him on the Nate way Nate is like and I can totally understand why he's like this he's like do you have like another guy you're seeing yeah like is this or is this like you know he doesn't say that but he's very clearly like what the hell like is this like the other Nathaniel you know yeah and then we are with Nate and Ruth, and we found out that Ruth lost $25,000 at the track. So much money. That's a lot of money. And Nate Nate basically is like, you're an idiot. And again, heaven can't, Nate. <laughs> well, no, yeah. actually, heaven can, Nate. I'm. Uh, we didn't really talk about what the official heaven can't, Nate, is. Mm-hmm. I do think that, like, dropping those body parts all over is uh, a little bit of a heaven can't Nate. If I was dealing with a bag of body parts, I'd probably drop them, too. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe we don't fully have one for this episode. But, I mean, I don't – yeah, I I mean, like, Ruth rightly chastises him, like, because he's like, how could you be so, you know, impulsive and irresponsible? And she's like – I have the right to make mistakes. Like, you make mistakes all the time. Like, you've made a lot of mistakes, like, on behalf of this family, like, in the past hour. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. I've my, If one of my parents gambled $25,000 away, I would probably uh, act similarly. Yeah. But I, 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 yeah. I, you see you see kind of what's happening with on both sides. Um, I mean, I think, I think that there's, like, a parallel being drawn between them. I think that Ruth's impulsiveness and Nate's impulsiveness yeah. in this episode are, and, and Claire's impulsiveness are, yeah. like, of a piece. Gabe told... Keith that he threw the foot out the window so in this next scene we see Keith like going near where he thinks the you know the foot might be and he runs into Claire this is my favorite scene in the episode I love I do love this scene too I think she says she says I know that you and my brother are like gay and then he goes okay (laughs) it's just it's perfect I know I really like Keith I like this sort of like goes that we have like a little breakup of the scene, but like when Claire and Keith talk dudes, it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. And she says, did you ever suck a guy's toe? And Keith's like, yeah, like Keith has done some. I mean, yeah, Keith has done more than that. Well, and, Claire. and Claire's been like looking for somebody to talk to this whole episode. She tried to talk to Nate, but he was busy dealing with pieces of um, of a person. Yeah. Um, she didn't really try to talk to David, but David looks like he's, his head is about to explode. So it's probably times. not. Yeah. He's, he's having a rough time. So it's probably not. Yeah. She just has no one. And she certainly can't talk to Ruth because Ruth's going to be like, are you bulimic and also anorexic at yeah. the same time, well, She's going to be like, we need to get you an abortion. Or yeah. I don't know. Or <laughs> I mean, who knows? And then in between, like, breaking up the Claire and Keith scene, we have Mr. Romano's funeral. And the daughters want to see that he's put together right, which is the weirdest request. I guess they're trying to see if they got their money's worth. And it turns out that that Rico like MacGyvered a foot yeah. out of a leg of lamb that he embalmed, which yes. is pretty uh, pretty yeah. creative, Rico. Um, and then Rico also says that he well, <laughs> Rico like folds faster than Superman on Laundry Day <laughs> when they're like they they just say the word Croner. And he's like, okay, I'll admit it. I had a meeting with Matthew Gillardi. I have a right to protect my interests. And you're like, he's a terrible liar. Nobody can keep secrets uh, on this entire show except Brenda. And um, then we get the the second half of this scene with um, Keith and Claire where where Claire is like, you know, what do you see in my brother? And yeah. um, And Keith, you know, kind of has this like 
lovely description of like why he loves David. Yeah, I mean, he does also call him a little boy, which I he don't does. like. But it's okay. I, I know what he means. He means he's like innocent, and he is he is sort of just like coming into himself. And it is Michael C. Hall does have this way of being both like a million years old and also like very childlike at the same time. Mm-hmm. So Claire. Oh, sorry. So in the next scene, Ruth and David, or no, I don't remember. Is Ruth and Nate? Nate and David are telling Ruth about the thing that happened with the foot debacle. Yes. And she, oh yeah. And she's like, she's still a foot from a person. She is a terrible mom to Claire. Oh, she's an awful mom. In the first, like in the front end of this season, certainly Mm -hmm. like. Claire is in need of so much help. Nobody is sort of like, well, and later in the scene, somebody's finally like, Nate is like, maybe you should see a therapist. Yeah, Nate is like, honestly, the best. Like, and, and Claire's like, you're not my dad. And I'm like, honestly, like, Nate is the most parenting you of anybody. Yeah, you should be in therapy. And you should, yeah, you should be seeing a therapist. And then she says that the house across the street is on fire, which I lol oh my god yes it's just like hey so uh you want to check this out and then we get this incredible final shot where yes where nate and david and ruth are standing in the foreground of the lawn watching the old gross house with the sex couch couch. that was going to be the poseidon society burning down and just sort of disbelief and then you see claire in the background on the porch just kind of leaning against a pillar with just this look on her face that could be interpreted so many ways. And she goes, I guess this should solve all your problems, huh? <laughs> the question is here, the, the show wants us to think that she set the fire. But did she set the fire? This is the question. This mm-hmm. is how we end the episode. And then we do get a lovely little postscript of um, yeah. a dog. <laughs> we hear a woman calling for freckles. And then we see sweet little freckles and he's holding the foot and the owner is like, Ew. And then that's the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> what is your uh, grade for this episode? You know, um, as we've been talking about this episode, I think I my esteem for it has increased. Um, because, it's great. Because when I first watched it, I was like, this is so silly. And I was sort of holding that against it. And now I'm like, no, this is nice that it's so silly. So I think I would give this episode a B plus. Oh, I'm going to give it an A minus. I'm a good, I'm like a... I'm a generous grader. <laughs> um, I'm the bad cop like David you're sitting <laughs> in Keith's squad car. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to fuck with David. Um maybe I give it I don't know, maybe I give it a B. I don't no, know. give I it wish, an A minus. Go with your give it an A go with your heart. It just is it just is like a very refreshing. Like I feel like it balances the drama and the comedy super well. It's really funny. It's really peppy. We get a lot of great character stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it's a really good episode. So that is that is episode 3 of 6 feet under. The foot. The foot. <laughs> For links to everything we talked about today and more information about us, visit our website at notoversfu.com. If you like the show, please subscribe, tell a friend about it, and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It helps people to find the show. You can write to us at notoversfu at gmail.com or give us a shout on Twitter at notoversfu. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Caroline, at Caroline V. McGee. And you can find me, Jenna, at Second Husk. You can find our producer, Allison Cherry, at 
Allison underscore Cherry. That's one L in Allison. Our theme song was written by Matt Berger and Melissa Lusk. Our logo was designed by Caitlin Trishani. And until next time, try to keep track of all your feet. 